The Phoenix Suns appear ready to finally trade DeAndre Ayton after five plus years with the big man in the Valley on today's episode of Locked on Suns, the case for trading Ayton, the case against trading Ayton, and why you can't ignore the Frank Vogel factor in all of it. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. And we are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much. For making Locked On Suns your first listen, happy Tuesday, happy day 1,394,712 of DeAndre Ayton trade talk. We are still here somehow. I thought it was over. I thought it was over a year ago. I thought it was over six months ago. Thought it was over uh, until last week. And so we are talking about that again. We'll also get to Frank Vogel later. He'll come up throughout the show. I'm going to give you my three E's of what Frank Vogel brings that Monty Williams didn't. But if it is your first time listening, go ahead and hit follow or subscribe. Get this show in your feed every single day. Be coming every day or get locked onto the Suns Monday through Friday for them now through the rest of time. We are free and available everywhere, including YouTube. So again, hit that button. Come along for the ride. Today's show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com. New customers get $5.00. Who bet $5, get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Let's dive in. I'm going to go with the case against trading Aiton first, all right? Because it's nicer. I think a lot of Suns fans are Aiton supporters on the whole. I think the diehard fans are are anti-Aiton. I think the casual fans are pro-Aiton. And so I'll do the pro eight and one first. Maybe that's just me getting my uh, my flowers from the from the casuals. I'm fine with that. Look, I make a podcast every day. There's going to be a lot of casuals who listen. Diehards, you take a back seat here. I'll get to you in a second. Let's start with Frank Vogel, though, actually, because if we're talking about the case against trading DeAndre Ayton, which means the case for keeping DeAndre Ayton, then Frank Vogel's the place that I start. The two biggest things, the two best things that Frank Vogel's supposed to bring. When you hire him, right, you 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 say no uh, on Nick Nurse. You say no on the more out-of-the-box hire of somebody like Kevin Young or Jordy Fernandez. You say no to an even more old-school pick like a Doc Rivers. You say Frank Vogel is our guy. Why do you say that? It might not seem like Aiton is exactly the reason, but the one that's obvious, right, is very Aiton-centric. De- uh, Frank Vogel has developed defenses centered around taking away the paint with size his entire NBA career. Now, how he's done that has evolved over time, but you even look back the very first year in Indiana, the prototype has been there, right? That that year, the smallest player in the starting lineup, and of course he inherited that team. The roster was basically what it was by the time he, he got there, but nevertheless, George Hill is the smallest guy by a, a wide margin. The two guard on that team was Paul George, right? Paul George plays the four now in the modern NBA, right? So, that that should show you. Then in L.A., he has Anthony Davis. He even plays AD at the four quite a bit. 
obviously with JaVale and Dwight, on and on and on. DeAndre Ayton fits the mold of what has worked. The other reason you bring Frank Vogel in is from a leadership standpoint. He is a guy who has experience coaching the biggest, best players and and fairly uh, difficult star players, I think you would have to say as well, right? Not just LeBron James, who obviously has that um, reputation, but of course, Russell Westbrook. And I think that it's fair to say that not being able to make it work with Westbrook is one of the things that led to Vogel inevitably eventually leaving the Los Angeles Lakers. But obviously on top of that, Paul George once upon a time, maybe Orlando, you wouldn't say there was a superstar, but of course Aaron Gordon there, and that was in the early part of Gordon's career when he was trying to evolve and become what he was going to become in the NBA and was doing a lot more on the ball and, and experimenting there. So this is a guy who's been around the block, right? And and that also comes back to Aiton in a way that, yeah, maybe he's not Russell Westbrook, he's definitely not LeBron James, but he falls somewhere on that spectrum. He is a player who has friction with his organization, who is a young guy who seems to have desires for himself that don't always align with what the franchise believes of him, expects of him, etc. And Vogel, I think, could have, and still can, maybe, be uh, an in-between here between Jones and other guys who have been around and Aiton and be somewhat of a guy who can reset it, right? That's what I think Vogel could have done. And so the case against training Aiton when it comes to coach Frank Vogel is give it time. See if that can come to fruition. See if Vogel can see that mission through and get through to Aiton in a way on and off the court that other other coaches, obviously Monty most specifically, have not been able to do, Right? The other part of this, that is the case against trading DeAndre Ayton, is that his versatility and athleticism are unique compared with any of the other defensive anchors we've seen be available in the NBA this summer. That is still true. Yes, it is largely theoretical. Yes, it is a big if. It is no sure thing to say that DeAndre Ayton is going to be the centerpiece for a top 10 defense in a, on a roster where even more falls on him. There is no Mikael Bridges on this roster. There is no Jay Crowder on this roster. There is, you know, not a sure thing backup center on this roster like Aaron Baines or JaVale McGee were, right? That's not a given. But again, the versatility and athleticism that he has, the ability to execute in a variety of different schemes, hedging, dropping, switching, blitzing in terms of the pick and roll coverage while also being a good rim protector with mobility and timing and leaping ability to block shots and contest shots at the basket is still valuable. And last but not least, the case against trading DeAndre Ayton is that he's still just 25 years old. As I've said, and as you've heard me say numerous times, I guess I should back up, right? We're talking about trading Ayton because there are rumors around Yusuf Nurkic, Caleb Martin, and TJ McConnell potentially OG Ananobi, potentially Nasir Little, right? Um, and as we've talked about the potential to break Aiton's spot on the roster into multiple pieces, the case that I've made is that you cannot judge him, that the Suns are having to negotiate from the standpoint of a depleted value because Aiton has played poorly. And so if you're making the case that they're going to keep him, what you would hope for is that he could not only undeplete his value, right, get back to where he was in 2021, but see if there's more there. And if you're 
optimistic that that can happen, the case you would make is, again, 25 years old, and even getting back to 2021 would be a pretty darn valuable player. Getting higher than that would be somebody who is approaching max contract status, right? And so we have seen over and over in the NBA, second draft players or whatever you want to call them, guys who get a second chance, Andrew Wiggins being the most recent, most similar example, it it does pan out for those guys. I'm not the person that's going to sit here and argue that Aiton's going to become a, an all-star, all-NBA, offensive uh, difference maker, but I think that he can be somebody who does a little bit more on the offensive end, but most importantly, does a lot more on the defensive end than what we've seen the past two seasons, and that's kind of exactly what the Suns need. And so the case against trading him from that standpoint is that you are just missing out, maybe selling a little bit low, and that you are getting rid of somebody who in a lot of ways was ready to plug the holes for what your roster had become and was and is still, despite his flaws and inconsistencies, one of the only players who even has the potential, even if we're just calling it potential. There are not a lot of players in the league with the potential to even do that. Let's go to the case for trading DeAndre Ayton. It seems like that's where the Suns are headed, so I guess that's an easier case to make, but we'll break it down next. First, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, and the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. All right, you got that? That is simply putting the bet down results in spendable, bettable dollars back into your account. It appears that NFL odds makers have not wised up to the fact that the Arizona Cardinals are a competitive football team. They are two touchdown, more than two touchdown underdogs, 14 point underdogs in San Francisco this weekend. I'm not sure if three weeks is enough for me to advise uh, betting in any direction there, but if you want to fuel the underdog feeling that you feel about your Arizona Cardinals, I would think that that could be pretty fun. Visit vandal.com slash locked on to get that $200 in bonus bets and kick off the NFL season. Support your Arizona Cardinals a little bit, theoretically, in your mind, imaginatively, all that good stuff. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's keep it rolling here. Case for trading DeAndre Ayton. Case for getting rid of him. Case for finally severing the ties that are five-plus years old at this point. Uh, drafting him in the summer of 2018. We've been watching this guy for six years, dating back to the fall of 2017 when he debuted as a freshman at the University of Arizona. Obviously, a lot of fan base for that program here, as well as just knowing the Suns had a chance at the number one overall pick. It has been a long journey. Do they finally decide it's over? The number one reason, given that package... And the fact that Nurkic, Martin, and McConnell, Nurkic, Martin, and Little, Nurkic, and Ananobi, whatever version of it that, that it ends up being, is not... Well, the Ananobi one is spectacular, and I, I still am a little skeptical that's possible, right? But considering that the Martin-McConnell-Nurkic package is not incredible, why would you do it? Well, the reason would be that you just... The Suns just don't trust him. They do not trust DeAndre Ayton as a talent. They do not trust him as a person. 
They do not buy that he is the type of player that can turn the theoretical that we've been talking about, that even you, if you're an everyday or have been hearing me talk myself into, once I as, uh, assumed that he was going to be staying put this year, I have even been talking myself into the theoretical. But the lack of trust there may just be run so deep that they don't even think that that theoretical can ever become practical, can ever become real, can ever be the type of thing that's consistently able to be counted on in a way that it can anchor a defense on a championship team that somehow, obviously, keeping in mind that Martin and McConnell or, or whoever the role players end up being are, are part of what you're getting back in the trade, but that at the center position, a sure thing version of 30-year-old, 29 going on 30-year-old Yusuf Nurkic is more desirable than whatever the ups and downs and possibilities and, and question marks are of DeAndre Ayton. And they just don't trust that he's ever going to be reliable enough to make good on all that promise. I mean, they've been telling us that and showing us that with their actions shopping this guy for quite a long time. And so it's not exactly a surprise that they would finally pull the trigger, right? But that would be the case for trading him, is that it's just time. That trust just is never going to be there. Let's get a little cap nerdy here. The other part of why you would want to trade DeAndre Ayton is that this is the last season's the sun, season that the Suns can get back even 110% of Ayton's salary in a trade. Now, as far as I can tell, all of the combinations and permutations of this thing I think the Ananobi-Nurkic contract aggregate, th those two combined, is more than Aiton. The Martin-McConnell version is just about even, if not a little lower than Aiton. But the reason that 110% number, where I'm getting that from, right, is that under the previous collective bargaining agreement, all teams could make trades and bring in 125% of the salary that they were sending out. That's no longer the case for everybody. And there is this one-year window, and I talked about this in one of the season preview shows about the second apron. One of this one season is the last year where teams that are over the second apron can take back any amount above the amount that they're sending out in a trade at all. They're not allowing it to stay at 125. They're creating this little buffer season, again, one year, where the number is 110. So that only applies until the last day of this upcoming season. And so if you're going to trade Aiton and you want a little bit more of the flexibility to do so, you would do it now. Because otherwise, next offseason, you can still trade him, but you're looking at only trades where you're bringing back exactly what he makes or less, right? That, you know elementary school think back the less than or equal to sign right like that is that is what it, it it will have to be the last reason the last case for trading Aiton is the one that became obvious the minute that they traded for Bradley Beal and they locked themselves into being over the second apron and they even though it was guys like Shamit and Chris Paul who are unreliable 
in terms of availability, in terms of malleability and versatility of what they can do, yes, those guys are all those things, but you were still trading two for one. So you removed not only a role player, a, a, a rotation player from your team, consolidating two guys into one, but you also whittled down the amount of salaries that you had that were not either minimums or maxes, right? Which was Shamit and Paul, but Paul was going to have to go either way. So with all of that happening, the Suns made their bed with the rotation and the salary cap that they're going to be thin. Took me a while to say that. I appreciate you guys coming with me for the ride. I made my way there. I landed the plane. But as much as they made the most of the minimum market, which they did, their depth is still their biggest question mark, right? And this trade, this type of trade, would go a long way in addressing it. From the minute the Beal trade happened, we immediately, all of us who care about the Suns, started talking about, do they make a trade that allows them to break Aiton's salary spot and roster spot into multiple pieces? Now, obviously, the side effect of this, which isn't super important now, at least not until the trade actually happens, is that they would have to cut somebody, Ish Wright, Jordan Goodwin, we don't know. Um, but if you had told me then, right, that they would have been able to get McConnell, Martin, and Nurkic back, I think that's about exactly what I would have been hoping for, right? And we talked about it a little bit with Brandon on Monday. I would recommend going back and listening to that episode. We talked about the on-court fit in depth. We talked about the holes in the roster and where they might be able to go. And honestly, I could be talked into the Nasir Little version of this trade, bringing him in from Portland instead of TJ McConnell in from Indiana, even though we know the Suns have liked McConnell for a long time. And that point of attack defense is a, a question mark on this roster. I've just kind of fully gone in the direction of this roster is going to be taken as far as it's switching defense and it's egalitarian playmaking from all the star players is going to take it. I don't think TJ McConnell is a starting caliber postseason player, and I'm not even sure that in the in the especially against teams like Denver and Golden State, etc. Uh, Golden State's a little different because he can match up to Curry, but let's say the Lakers. I don't even know if TJ McConnell stays on the court in the playoffs. So I like the Nasir Little version. Either way, I do think I can be honest with myself and say, as we're talking about the case for trading Aiton and the fact that this type of package is exactly what you would have been looking for, that I might be a little lower on this trade because of how much my brain has been working and how much uh, I guess I've kind of drunk the Kool-Aid of Aiton being able to be rejuvenated this year. Nothing's happened. I mean, the Bahamas stuff, like that's not, that's that's significant. So I guess maybe I should cut myself some slack. We did see that, that that's tangible. But I just buy it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just belief. We're just, it's September. We're previewing the NBA. That's what we do as fans, as analysts, as whatever you want to call what I do. Like that, that just, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, yeah, I convinced myself of it, but uh, guess what? James Jones and Frank Vogel and everybody else are also humans, right? And like, they've been thinking not a lot of, not a lot of changes happened for them. And yet here we are back uh, with the trade stuff all over again. So again, depth is the biggest question mark on this team. Veteran experience is a big question mark and their salary cap sheet is super funky and this would help that as well. So Again, if you had told me in June that the Suns could make this trade, I probably would have pulled the trigger without even a, a shadow of a doubt. And so that might be the most clear way to state why you would do this because it kind of 
does exactly what they need to do. Let's close out the show with one segment answering another question from our 13 questions season preview series about what Frank Vogel will bring that Monty Williams did not. I'll give you my three E's of Vogel. Three E's of Vogel. Next, first one more quick break. Close out the show. E number one. There's an E in Vogel's name, only one, but I have three for you. Experimentation. Despite the fact that we have that image of our in our heads of Frank Vogel, somehow still from like a decade ago, frankly, maybe pun intended, first of all, with the frankly, and second of all, uh, maybe some people it's the Lakers. I guess if you're young, it's the Lakers, right? But I mean, that, that I was fully following the NBA, and I still think of Indiana. And I mentioned that lineup at the beginning of the show. George Hill, Paul George, Danny Granger, David West, Roy Hibbert. Huge, defensively oriented, not a lot of offense. Those Pacers teams that first year, the, the lockout year, they were a top 10 offense because Granger was awesome. After that, they did not have, they were a bottom 10 offense every single year the rest of, of Vogel's tenure in Indiana. And so that's the stale version of what Vogel is, but I think we, we kind of lose track of how versatile and experimental that he's been able to be, right? Uh, Anthony Davis and everything he did with that I don't think I need to elaborate on because I've said it a million times that he threw Davis into so many different schemes during that 2020 bubble playoff run that he proved once and for all that he's not an old-fashioned guy on the defensive end. Um, if you want more, there are numerous examples. You can just go watch the highlights. He guarded everybody from Russell Westbrook to James Harden to Damian Lillard to Nikola Jokic over the course of that playoff series to even Jimmy Butler, right? So great. And that was all coming from Vogel being willing to adapt and getting AD to buy in. But even aside from that, right, like think about Lance Stevenson. That was such a unique archetype in the NBA back then. And it takes a courageous coach to even tr let Lance be Lance. He bloomed in Indiana and eventually get, got a bag in Charlotte, right? Um, you look at Aaron Gordon, a little bit similar. Gordon's breakout, the best offensive season that Aaron Gordon had prior to last year playing next to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray was the best offensive season of Gordon's career, the first year of Vogel, or maybe the second year of Vogel, one of the two. He really broke out. He took a couple years, and then finally Vogel gets there, and it's off and running. I would say in Orlando, you can also look at the fact that Vogel was able to get a league average defense with Nikola Vucevic as his center. I think Nikola Vucevic is relatively underrated, but obviously defense is not his strong suit. And yet, passable defense. You know, Serge Ibaka was on that team, Bismack Biombo was on that team, but still, maybe the on-off isn't great. Regardless, that is a with a lot of young players and not a lot of perimeter defense, that is a pretty strong sign of what he's good at. And then, of course, the Lakers stuff I talked about. So that's experimentation. Experience. And in particular, obviously, three different, you know, this being his fourth stop as an NBA coach. He has been an assistant since, I believe, 2001. I think he was in the college ranks, I believe, at Kentucky even before that. So we're talking about a guy with 20, 25 years of coaching experience. That's not 
That's impossible to ignore. That cannot be overlooked. But also, in particular, let's zoom in on the fact that he has experience coaching difficult, powerful superstars, right? And that's a little less related to Aiton, so let's get away from the Aiton stuff. This is a Vogel segment. The Aiton stuff was just the first two. Frank Vogel has experience coaching difficult, powerful superstars. Like, Paul George left after the Vogel time, right? He was dealing with the will-he-won't-he of Paul George at the end of his time coaching the Pacers. He dealt with Paul George's injury, all that type of, of difficult stuff that goes into it. Orlando, again, not so much. And then the Lakers, of course, LeBron, AD, Russell Westbrook, the Los Angeles media market, all of that stuff. It does not get much more extreme than that. I mean, and even on top of that, you know, the Lakers time, there were just so many big names because of it being the Lakers because they needed the salary structure. They needed some of those minimum guys. And then, of course, LeBron likes his vets, right? So on top of all of that, they also had Dwight Howard. They had uh, Rajon Rondo. They had Carmelo Anthony. Um, up and down, on and on. Vogel handled it. You know, Marcus Gasol, right? Like even, even throw that, Kyle Kuzma's no, no quiet wallflower, right? So that matters. And of course, on a team with the Suns where Durant and Booker and Beal and, you know, even like a guy like Eric Gordon off the bench and everything else, that that will matter. And it's not that Monty Williams did not have experience doing that. He coached Anthony Davis. He coached Chris Paul. He was around the Spurs dynasty, although does that even really count? Are we really even talking about the same thing with how measured and and pretty reasonable and chill those guys were I'm not too sure Philadelphia he had the assistant coaching run where Ben and Joel were there you know he had that experience but a slightly less overall experience than Vogel as a as a coach and b of course he was a player I know but then b not quite the same high pressure circumstances and the Suns clearly valued that lastly the last e of Vogel is excellence and in specific, obviously winning the championship, but of course on the defensive end, most importantly. Vogel has had a top 10 defense on every good roster that he's ever coached, and even in some of the bad rosters, whether that was the Lakers or the Magic, he was able to turn out a, a decent defense nevertheless. It may not be sexy. It may not be how you think the NBA how you think you win in the NBA these days, but it is important to have a pedigree to say we're going to be great at something, right? I mean, it's it's the question of questions in all sports. I mean, especially basketball and football, which are team sports that have very different strategies on each end, right? Baseball, it's like Offense and defense, don't we don't even call it that. We call it hitting and fielding. Like, it's just, it's very different. Soccer, yes, I guess you could say that, right? But they, I, as far as I know, they don't split up their stuff as far as like, oh, so-and-so coach is like only occupied with like scoring because everything is so connected and interchanged and defense turns into offense. You have to be able to do that. You know, you can't try to score and not be back defensively. It's all connected in a way that's very different than basketball and football. And you would even say football the most unique because they literally stop playing and start again. But that's the question that's always facing 
sports like that, what do you do? Do you get somebody who can do both? Do you get somebody who has experience on both sides? Do you go toward a head coach that's been had to make decisions at the highest levels on both ends of the court before? Do you try to get a mastermind on one end? Do you does the guy who you do bring in if he is an expert on one end does he like call the plays and really scheme everything up or does he hire a protege of his own and just sort of overlook all of it but at the end of the day there's coordinators doing it, you know. Those are the questions, but I do think if you're comparing Vogel to Monty and we're doing this from a season preview standpoint, it is nice to be able to say that you have expertise in the building, proven track record of expertise in the building to say the defense will be schemed up and creative in such a way that we should have an advantage. Now, the roster, especially if the Aiton trade goes through in the way we're expecting and suddenly Yusuf Nurkic is the starting center for this team, is a, putting Vogel a little bit behind the eight ball to craft a defense that works. But the point is, he did it with Orlando, right? Like, he did it in some of those injury-riddled seasons with the Indiana Pacers, with suboptimal personnel. He got the best defensive season out of Anthony Davis that we've probably uh, probably ever seen. Maybe last year you would you would compare, right? So... All of that said, it is an advantage. It is a distinction and a difference from what Monty Williams brought, who I think, if anything, you would say was a little bit more brought in for his offense and all things considered was not a proven commodity of being outright dominant on either end. Frank Vogel is at the end of the day. That will wrap us up. Sounds like we're going to get a... Lillard trade this week, which means we may, in fact, get a DeAndre Ayton trade this week, which means you got to keep it here. There will be bonus. I'll, I'll commit to at least one. I promise you there may be two uh, because there might be a big batch of news that forces me to do a show. And then once the actual trade happens and we see the specific specifics, that may become another bonus episode on top of the regularly scheduled programming. So do not go anywhere. Hit follow. Hit subscribe. We're free and available everywhere. Just hit that button. You'll get content every day in your feed, audio, YouTube, wherever you love it. And it should be fun. I'll catch you guys tomorrow. We'll do some more season preview stuff until this thing happens. And that'll do us. See you then.